slowly slowly it'll show there we go oh yeah 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 <laughs> hey chris Hansik, how you doing hey i'm doing fine glenn how are you excellent excellent hey thanks for uh putting up with uh, all the bullshit oh but, no problem uh, <laughs> bullshit is my my hobby <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so it's like yeah of course when i have the you know the, the audio producer you know that everything goes tits up but you know kind of the way it works you know it's not how you start it's how you finish yeah, I guess so. I yeah, guess so. That's right. So, you know, let's just dive right in here because you've got a very, very interesting past, right? And, and future and present. Um, I'll take that as know, a compliment. It is a compliment. No, absolutely. So, um, you know, l let's start. Let's start going. You know, way back. Let's start talk about CZ a little bit. Um, so, I, I, I knew you were involved with CZ, but I didn't know about it until um actually a couple of days ago when i started doing some research um so first of all cz was and and still to a certain extent is you know via daniel house um you know still going and and doing stuff but you you actually ran that for what 18 months is that correct oh that's probably uh kind of approximately right yes um, okay you know it wasn't it wasn't long it was two releases um, and basically the project, I can't remember if I got the label started or conceived of the label actually, even before moving to, to, um, Seattle. Um, but it's more likely if my memory serves that, uh, both Tina and I just sort of dreamed up the idea of starting a record label just about the time that we moved here in 1984. Mm -hmm. And then it took, um, what uh, a little over a year to finally get that first recording in the can and mm -hmm. a full two years or so until from, you know, from moment of dream till first product was, was approximately three right. years. And yeah, I, I hung in there with the idea that this was going to be the start of something. And um, I thought perhaps that it was going to be, you know, one of my cups of tea would be to run a record label. And it, it, sure. it just didn't, it didn't gel and work for me. So mm -hmm. there I went. Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I, I've lost more money um, as a label than any other thing I've ever done. So yeah, I didn't have any money to start with. So that, <laughs> that was the problem is probably that I, w I started marginless, you know, so if anything, mm -hmm. if anything interrupted me, I was toast. And the first thing that interrupted me was my business partner, um, we split up right in the middle of the making of the uh, the Deep Six compilation, which was CZ01. Oh, right. Uh, and mm -hmm. we found ourselves kind of at odds, I guess you'd call it, uh, trying to complete that production. I, I saw mm -hmm. fit to do certain things and have a certain attitude about them. And she uh, was seeing things a little bit differently. So right, right, right out of the gate. Um, the organization CZ Records was 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 in turmoil with an internal uh, difficulty, mm. and I sure. I wasn't blessed with um, having money or knowing how to keep it, so that mm -hmm. kind of meant I was on thin ice, and it, I I was ripe for the I was ripe for being picked off by um, other entities that wanted perhaps what what I set out to do. So, sure, game of off. course, of course, lost a few of them. Yeah. Yes. So how did you pick the bands on Deep Six though? Well, it was partly it was partly um 
survey and partly gut instinct and consensus. And by survey, I mean, we, we asked some trusted friends. Um, uh, I was in conversation at that time with the, the guys in Green River, and we shared a lot of thoughts about, you know, what's, what's Seattle up to? What's going to happen with this city? Mm -hmm. What about releasing records? Who should release records? What's going to happen? What are the chances for success? And, and I was very enthusiastic, and so was Tina. We saw this town as a kind of a, um, a gold-rich area that, that had undiscovered gold in it, that, that there was sure. so much creativity. It was a metropolis, and it was creative. And yet my observation was is that it was cut off from the rest of the country and that we were just in a kind of a, uh, a, a, kind of a junior playland out here that nobody really cared about. And... Uh, it just looked like ripe, ripe for growth. Um, and conversations with uh, Jeff and Mark from Green River, they more or less presented a list, and then we sort of had the, you know, the right of approval on it because we were going to, you know, mm -hmm. Tina mainly was going to sink a little money in, and I was going to apply my, um, you know, genius production instincts and all that stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. And we didn't really throw anybody off the list they showed us. We liked the list they showed us. And then we met individually with all the bands. It was kind of one of those like meetup uh, slash sales job slash. I mean, it felt like uh, we were NFL agents running around, you know, trying to sign people up for something. And uh, everybody kind of took us seriously, but everybody was suspicious. And um, but we got we got the full list of six to sign on and uh, mm -hmm. participate. So experiment was off and running. That's great. That's great. So what did, what did you do and where were you before Seattle? I was living in Boston. Oh, wow. Okay. I was there for about two years. Uh, prior to that, I was in Pennsylvania where I finished up my 98% of a college degree in theater arts. <laughs> <laughs> and I moved to Boston and... Um, at that point, I was endeavoring to get into the music biz once I moved to Boston. I was like, okay, Boston, let's go, Tina. Let's, let's go live in Boston and, and, and uh, you know, embed ourselves in the culture, which we did. Mm -hmm. that, that, was where I went. that was where I went and saw my rock shows and got all kind of greasy and dirty in the rock world, call it. Right. That's where I started recording, where I, where I first decided, oh, crap, man, this looks like so much fun. I'm going to save up all my money from my, my very low paying little warehouse job here and mm -hmm. um, buy recording gear. So basically that's where my, my sprout came out of the, um, the little sprout right. jar. Yeah. So are, 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 <laughs> did any of the bands you recorded in Boston anywhere? Like, did, did you have any of those recordings? Like what were you recording in Boston? Oh, I was recording it uh, probably uh well, I don't know. I, oh, geez, this is, this is you got another hour. Sure, hey, let's um, do it, man. I, I have all day. Well, one, so. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you some of the notables. One, one big notable for me was, and and this is another part of my career, which you look at it and go, man, you had an inverted career. I would. My first gig was like being the sound man for um, a band called the D Sharp Quintet. It was a modern jazz band. It was very modern jazz band, and it was headed by a guy named David Sharp. And David Sharp used to play the drums for Carla Bley. Bly? I don't mm -hmm. never know how to pronounce her name. And she mm -hmm. was a very, very well-known American 
uh, jazz composer that played Europe and um, and the U.S., married to Paul Blay, B-L-E-Y. Mm -hmm. Anyway, D-Sharp went on to be in The Modern Lovers. So he... he uh, oh, wow. Yeah, he brought... As a matter of fact, uh, one of my temp jobs, you know, where I was working that stupid warehouse job, um, it was all full of musicians. I know I'm getting off topic. No, that's fine. But do it. one of the musicians was Jonathan. Jonathan came in and worked. And for like two or three weeks, I was his supervisor. So he, Jonathan Richmond? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got that. Holy shit, man. Yeah. That's awesome. This is like 1981, 1982. And Jonathan hadn't had a record out in a while. I think he was like, it was post-Modern Lovers. And prior mm -hmm. to, I don't know, he was in between solo records and not much was happening. And he needed the... Uh, Wow. The $5 and 65 cents an hour or whatever the heck it was back then. Yeah. He's a really interesting character to work with, you know? Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> anyway, wow. back to what I was talking about, there was a, there was a David, David Sharp. Unfortunately, he, he was the first person I ever knew who said to me, Hey, Chris, I, I got to tell you, I got this disease. It's called AIDS. And I said, Oh, what's that? Mm -hmm. You know? And, and of course, right. He's, he was no longer with us after a few more years. Mm -hmm. um, but also in that band, and this is another little shocker, there was a young guitar player named Bill Frizzell was in that band. So there I am. It's my first band, right? My first gig. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. uh, here's David, here's D Sharp, ex-modern lover, and here's um, Bill Frizzell, oh, who no one's ever heard of. But boy, he's got mm -hmm. some talents. And, um, and I got to record these guys. I made about two or three recordings, both in my bedroom and in D Sharp's basement. And I and I traveled around with them to a couple of jazz clubs and, and basically recorded them and also did their live sound. Uh, and this went on for about a, I don't know, half a year or so. In, in addition, I was starting to pile other bands into my uh, bedroom. Basically, the procedure was pick up the mattress, put it against the wall, put the drum set <laughs> in, uh, turn on the four track. You know, just wall to wall, smelly beer, everything, and then everybody mm -hmm. would leave. I'd set the bed back down, and I could sleep again that night. So that that was the routine there for a little bit in Boston. That's so, perfect. So I said That's a lot right there. I, I know. Yeah, I, no, there, I know. I can there is a lot there. So if you have any questions, you can ask them. No, we'll, we'll get back to some of okay. that because okay. that's fascinating. So, um, so you 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 did that. You got the taste for for. That Productive. recording is specifically making recordings had its hooks in me at that point. Mm -hmm. And then the impetus to move to Seattle was kind of connected to that because then, okay. it, then it became the next thing in, in my head was, well, let's see, Boston is a very expensive place. My rent is going up to mm -hmm. try to rent a space in Boston and compete with the other. It seems like there was about 120 studios in Boston all working mm -hmm. very hard, all busy, all kind of expensive. And I, it just looked like mm, this is going to be a tough start, tough start for right. a kid with a warehouse job. Right. So yeah, I, definitely. I, I had a friend that moved to Seattle and, and they started teasing me with little, uh, little bits like, Hey, you'd really like it here. We just moved here. You'd love it. You know, come and, and then they started sending me stuff like, Oh, hey, we bought a few singles and, uh, and a cassette or two for you and, and an LP if you'd like to listen to what Seattle has to offer. And I'm like, what are you guys trying right. to do? You know, bait me into coming out there? So <laughs> I listened to it and went, oh, wow. I, I got the Seattle Syndrome Volume 1. Right. Got, uh, a Blackouts record. I had a... Oh, perfect. Something else. Oh, they, they had tasted music. They knew what I liked, too. 
So, so friends of mine, they basically put it on a hook, threw it out there and I, I bit and was like, you know, it just makes sense to me. That place, it sounds beautiful. I don't know what mountains are, but I think I'd like them. Um, <laughs> and, you know, moving from Pennsylvania, Boston, those places, it's, it's, it's just like dirty, big East Coast stuff. And when you hear, hear stories about Seattle and, and big mountains and forests and woods and glaciers and volcanoes, yeah. it just became too much of an adventure um, that I couldn't refuse. And then the idea that maybe... I had the idea that maybe the town was small enough that a guy like me could start a studio and uh, get it going. And I, and I, thought, I thought what I heard was, uh, what I heard in these records people sent me was it sounded like a, a lot of creative stuff, a little disorganized, but maybe really creative stuff going on, so. Yeah, there, there was that weird uh, arena rock meets punk rock meets like Black Sabbath. There was, a, you know, like even even way back in, in the 70s, which is way before I moved here, but there was sort of that weird, very unique sound in Seattle, right? And and, and still, even, even the, the bands that are still coming out, like, you know, in the late, you know, 2010s and, and whatever, um, there's a very unique take on music that comes out of here. Um, yeah, I think I haven't never thought about that, but I think you're right. I think certain things are are legitimate here that aren't legitimate other places. True, no, uh, very true. Because I remember, you know, there was a there was a little bit of a sh uh, a culture shock in my head, seeing shows in New York and Boston, trained me to understand a certain ethic about art on stage with mm -hmm. with rock band, and and I thought I would, you know, I thought I had learned a lot about what makes a good art theatrical rock experience and a lot of what i found in in seattle scared me or disappointed me to some degree you know made me oh, worried and i i think the one memorable thing is is you know talking to some of the bands like the, a few of the bands that were on the deep six comp you know like melvin mm -hmm. and green river and, and things like that they would tell me that they're they would tell me oh our our influences are like aerosmith and kiss and stuff <laughs> right, and then you'd hear them and be like, and "No, I, it's not." And I would, think, and I would think, "That's troubling. That's very troubling." <laughs> How can we move forward if you're going to say things like that? You know, it's just right because you know, you know what I hope to find is, you know, I hope to move to Seattle and find, oh, look, underneath the rubble, it's it's this incredibly esoteric, artistic stuff, you know, right. and and I, I. The music that was in my head, literally at the time of moving from Boston to um, to Seattle, was was some of that like no wave stuff, like the right. the band Mars or DNA out of New York. They, mm -hmm. you know, just the sh shrieking cacophonous, almost is it music? Is it not music? I I was interested in in what was the at the boundary of music and what was um, sure. going to keep shocking and continually dismembering music as we knew it. Yeah, and, and there was, and then I found out we were all into rehashing uh, guys with long hair and leotards and stuff. And I was like, ah, you know. <laughs> well, okay, th that's another topic we can get into, like the fact that Seattle is actually a metal town, right? That, it secretly is. It's a metal town that wants to be something different. Yeah, yeah, uniquely yeah. something. Um, and I, I've got some of those guys coming on, you know, in in the the near future. Um, you know, some of the metal stuff and like. When people hear Seattle, they don't think metal, but there are a lot of metal bands that came to Seattle, 
right? And like when I first moved here, let's see, in 85, I think it was 85. Um, and I was still, I think it was a, a sophomore, soft, it was a, a freshman in high school, I guess, when we moved out here. Um, and I was looking for music. I was from Northern Idaho, so I didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. Oh. But anyway, so I moved out here and it was like, okay, there's going to be great music. And the first show I saw in 80, late 85, maybe early 86 was Variant Cause, right? Which is a great band. I mean, I, I still love them. Like, they did a great job. But I remember, like, seeing them at the, I think it was the Mural Amphitheater. And I was like, oh, this is what Seattle bands sound like. I didn't know. Yeah. You know? Like, okay. You know? And it was like, it's that, that weird poppy, like, um, pre-They Might Be Giants, They Might Be Giants sort of music, right? You know, like, uh, you know, the megaphone up on stage and all that shit. Well, yeah, if you listen to a lot of the early 80s Seattle bands, you'll hear a lot of that. There's a real pop influence, a real desire to kind of have okay. uh, hooks, hooks, hooks. You know, yeah. it, it, we they weren't into the long, uh, drudgerous, painful stuff no. yet. You know, no. it, was, no. it was more hooky. And, and it definitely fits the, the nature of, of this environment, right? So in my mind, it, it's everything is like short and to the point. Um, people in Seattle don't tend to... Uh, um, pontificate at great lengths about things. It's sort of like, okay, let's have this conversation. And then, okay, I'm going to turn my back and go, you know, over here. And I think it, that's reflected in the music as well. Hmm. Right. Interesting. Um, there's sort of a standoff, standoffishness that um, I, I, I've actually grown to love, you know, I mean, I, I've been here, what, 35 years now. Uh, yeah. Something like that. Um, it bothered me at first. Now I, I, I kind of enjoy it, right? And, and I think it's definitely, it definitely comes out in the music. Hmm. Um, but getting back to the metal stuff, so after like seeing like Variant Cause and whatnot, I was like, oh, okay, well, it's not really my style of music, but it's good. Um, my next encounter was, because I grew up on, on the North End, like Edmonds, which is where I am now. Um, and the North end metal scene, like, you know, South Everett and, you know, you know, basically from Montlake Terrace up to, you know, like Stanwood was all metal, you know, bands like, you know, Covenant, better, you know, better end forced entry, like all those bands were, you know, like up here. Um, and so I was really confused for a long time. Like what, what is Seattle all about? You know, cause I was underage, so I couldn't go to, well, we'll get into this, but like I couldn't go to the Central, for example, and, you know, see these bands, these mythical bands, you know, that I'd heard of, like Green River, for example. Um, they were a little before my time, and there weren't a lot of all ages, you know, places to go see bands. Um, so in my mind, I, I basically taken all of that, like, the, you know, everything from the power pop to the arena rock to the metal. And that, you know, definitely, the, the, you know, the, the punk influence, but but more like New York doll style punk influence rather than, you know, like negative approach or, you know, that sort of metal or I'm sorry, punk. Um, and you put that all in a blender and that basically is what Seattle is musically to me. Okay. You know, I'm afraid I don't get out much. So I, I've lost sight over what Seattle is compared to what everybody else is. Well, and that, I, that happens to anybody. Anytime you don't travel around and do the do the A B comparisons, then what do you know? You know. Well, I, you know, it's funny you, you talk about that. I, the last maybe like dozen shows that I've seen, 
is nobody new, right? Like, I mean, the last big show I went to see was TSOL, right? Which is, you know, a band from, you know, the early 80s. Um, I don't think I've actually listened to anything new out of Seattle in a really long time. Is that just the age thing? It's probably the age thing. It, it's really? also the fact that, like, at TSOL, I threw out my back. And I was having a great time. I was like, hey, this is great. And I threw out my back. And I was like, I had to hobble outside. And I went outside. I was like, okay, I'm just going to go out for a cigarette. I'll be fine. Yeah, like, sure. You know, have a smoke. Go back inside. And I realized I couldn't stand. Oh, no. Like, it was like, oh. <laughs> so I had a couple of friends with me. And I was like, just ditched them. I was like, oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. I, I... <laughs> and that was like 2017. That, that was like the last big show I went to. Oh, right? my. Yeah. Um, actually, that's not true. I've been to a couple others. But I was able to grab a seat. So I, I didn't have to stand. <laughs> yeah. The, the, I think the last five or six shows I've been to have all been like icons from my past, you know, the, yeah, absolutely. the icon from my past uh, tour. Cause I, I, quite frankly, I don't get out much. And I, I know I've been saying that since 1992, but it's true. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of fit a lot of shows in, in the early eighties. I fit some in, in the mid eighties, the late eighties. Okay. The early nineties, but you know, a certain amount of been there, done that creeps into me. And then I, I make changes. You know, I don't do yeah. the same thing sure. year after year. I, I can't. I have to keep moving. And if that means, you know, hey, I stop seeing rock shows every Saturday night. Well, so be it. You know, um, yeah. life goes on. Yeah. So what I don't know why. Well, I can tell you why. So we were talking about like the power pop influence in Seattle and, and whatnot. And so one of my really good friends is Jim Bass, Bass Knight, who I love to death. Right. So one of the last shows I saw, I think, give or take, it was late 2018, maybe. Um, and he was playing, I forget, they were opening for somebody actually really big. But it was at the Fun House, right? So the new Fun House, which is part of El Corazon. Was it Walter Lure or something? Yes, it yeah. was. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was great because, you know, Walter was great. I wanted to go see that show. <laughs> it was so much fun. There were maybe 40 people there. Like it was typical Seattle show, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, here's here's this icon. Like 40 people show up and everyone's standing there like this. Yeah, arms crossed. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought it'd be cooler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm happy I got to see him before he, you know, he passed on. Um, but it was it was also very disappointing to watch, you know, in a certain way, because I'm like, OK, well, you know, here's me. And I was I'm going to guess I was probably the youngest person there. Ooh. Right. I, I'm 50 or almost 50. Um, I had. Yeah, I had to have been the youngest person there. Um, and I'm like, this guy is a legend. You know, and, and plus, I mean, Jim is a legend, you know, at least, you know, in the Northwest, you know, I'm like, okay, well, this is it, you know, and, and so I, I got really depressed after watching that show. <laughs> um, I mean, I was happy to see it. And, and you know, of course, I'm, I'm always going to go out and support, you know, Jim or, or, you know, any of the people I know and, and all the music I like. But, yeah, it was a little depressing, hmm. to be honest. Um you know, and and just let me segue here just for a minute. Uh, about a year before that, 
I was supposed to bring the dead boys out here to Seattle. And um, long story short, I, I spent like a year trying to like put the whole thing together. And I was talking to Dana at, at El Corazon and, and he's like, yeah, no, totally. We'll book them. I was like, great. He was like, we're going to book him in the fun house. And I was like, that only holds a hundred people. Right. I wanted to put him in the main stage, you know, at, at El Corazon. He's like, no, 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 no. They're, they're not going to draw that much. And that was really depressing. So I, I kind of gave up and I said, okay, fine. I let another promoter like take control of it. Well, at that, and... that point, don't you just pull out your wallet and then flip through and stack a hundred dollar bills and say, wouldn't that be great? Sell it out, man. And then, you... Well, so what ended up happening is another guy took control of it and brought him out for a, a, a West Coast tour. Um, and they played the, the High Line. And it was a great show. Phenomenal show. I think this is 2017. Yeah, 2017. Um, and they packed out the High Line for whatever that's worth. Mm -hmm. You know, so 250, maybe 300 people. Um but it, it really made me depressed, you know, to watch this whole thing. Like, you know, um, and after the show, there were a lot of younger people at, at the Dead Boy show, which I found really interesting. Hmm. Um, but at the end of the show, Cheetah, who, of course, well, I'm sorry, Johnny Blitz was also. So Cheetah and Johnny were, were the only original members. Right. And after the show, Cheetah went to the very back of the High Line to like, you know, sitting right by the door waiting to like, you know, sign stuff. And not a single person came to it. Oh, I, I felt so bad for him, you know, and I kind of went by because, you know, I had been talking to them, you know, I was like, hey, man, <laughs> great show. Like, I mean, what do you say? At yeah, that point? I know. I know. You know, and then after the fact, everyone is is like, that was the best show I've ever seen. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> you didn't support, you didn't buy anything, you didn't, you know, like, what are you talking about? Hmm. You know, and that's sort of like Glenn, Glenn, I think you brought your empathy with you to a rock club. I, I know, which I is the wrong thing to do, thinking. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway, it was a phenomenal show. Like they they, they you know, they killed it. Mm -hmm. Um Cheetah had uh, uh this guy Jake Hout, who's a total fucking sweetheart. Um and he, he actually looks and, and acts very much like a a, a young Steve. Or Stiv, um, but anyway. So my my point is more of of I th I think like Seattle is a very weird market for music, right? We're, we're very into music. Like everyone you talk to is like, oh yeah, I've got this on vinyl and I do this and I've been to this show and whatever. But when it comes down to it, um, we we tend to uh, be very standoffish. Hmm. Right, which makes it a very difficult market. Oh, maybe it just a, it's a musical extension of the Seattle freeze, you know. That very well we, we could don't, be. We don't like to uh, get too too much into just instant affections with people. You know, we wait six months before we can deliver their first side hug or something. I don't know. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, and, and maybe that that's why when uh, you know, so there there's obviously been a, a couple of of waves of of you know seattle being super popular right i mean like starting with jimmy hendrix and well actually way before but uh like the sonics and and even before that but um there was a, a brief thing in the 70s you know with heart um 
and TKO. I was supposed to have Brad on last night, but he had to cancel because of the flu. Brad, Brad Sinsel? Brad Sinsel, oh, yeah. Oh, bad Brad. Yeah. Bad Brad is a fascinating human. Um, yeah, he was supposed to be on last night. He got the flu, so he had to cancel. Oh, by the way, night. before I forget, yeah, Brad recorded it reciprocal in 1987-ish, hmm. along with a guy named Rick for the project War Babies. The War Babies, yeah. You mentioned Coven a while ago. I recorded Coven in 1984, little known fact, at the first version of Reciprocal in Interbay. Really? I complete, uh, I don't remember it much, except I remember a biggish drum set with a lot of little drums. That's all I remember. <laughs> not real. So uh, Dean Babbitt from, from Coven is eventually going to be on the show, too. Oh, so I, and I think I know, I think I've met Dean, and I think I'm his Facebook friend. I don't know. Yeah. Apologize it's, it's the two, for me. The two brothers, Dean and yeah. Neil. There you right? Go. Yeah. Yeah. The singer was Jay something or other. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's all I remember. I, I was a kid, man, and I was probably high as shit every time I saw them. So me too, and I was yeah. in my twenties. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but that kind of gets back to to the metal stuff, right? So, um, again, when I first moved here, and I saw you know Variant Cause was like my first thing, and it was like, oh, this is a weird, quirky sort of music, you know, that Seattle has. And then you know it was like, in in short order, it was like coven bitter end forced entry the mentors for fuck's sake you know like all of that shit it was like oh wait there's a super heavy thing here um and then you know queen's right you know before they actually really were super famous you know like so seattle definitely has a, this like metal background that nobody wants to talk about like it doesn't really exist you know metal church like I could go on. Like, there's so many great metal bands here. I forget who, but somebody just is putting a book together or just finished a book that they spent a long time on. It was mostly dealing with East Side Metal and the uh, various venues and bands that played over there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I don't know who it is. I forget. No, I, I would love to read that because it, it's... Look, when I first... Well, not first moved here. After about two years of living here, I actually had on my bedroom wall a, a giant... Um, diagram, like a, a tree di diagram of all the bands and like where people sure. came from. Yeah. And it's still interesting to me because Seattle is, is one of those cities where if you take a band, it's sort of like the six degrees of set Kevin Bacon. It's a, right? been a tremendous <laughs> amount after they added a little bit of, <laughs> added a little bit of money in the nineties, then the interbreeding went wild. I mean, you oh insane yeah it breed you breed more the more money you pour in it's like whoa look at this it's like a fertilizer <laughs> yeah. it's like a, the last well the last recorded episode or i'm sorry the last published episode i did was with uh blaine cook from you know mm -hmm. the accused and and whatever and he and i were talking about that and it's amazing when you start drawing those diagrams it's like okay well kind of punky stuff hardcore stuff, guns and roads, like, you know, you start doing that, these diagrams and it becomes like amazing. Right. And and that's why actually I love Seattle music for that. Like, even if I hated the music, which I don't, but even if I did, I love the fact that, that it doesn't matter, you know, like, Oh, Hey, you know, you're, you're in, you know, some, uh, you know, some punk band and I'm this weird fucking, you know, dark metal band and whatever, let's collaborate. Right. So, and I think that still exists. 
the tree structure probably looks more like the NFL draft than people want to believe, you know, oh, in a certain way, you know, because once, let's face it, once a, once a small band has a really good performer in it, next thing you know, a bigger band swims past and says, hey, we got an opening, you know, boop, and then they jump, jump ship. Hey, they want me for their tour. You know, I, I can't turn it down, you know, I'll be in your band too when I can. <laughs> so what are the people who who's like infamous for that is Mike McCready, right? Like mm -hmm. the guy's been all over the place. Like, you know, you, you name a band of, well, I'm sorry. You name a band that, that people outside of Seattle would know about. And there's, there's a good chance he's done something with them, right? A Seattle band that, that, you know, other people know about. Um, and I think that's another interesting part about like the Seattle Seattle Syndrome. And by the way, I'm, I'm trying to get Dennis White on as well. Oh, okay. Seattle Syndrome guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's a fascinating human. Um, I, I don't know much about what he's done since then. <laughs> um, we've talked a couple times on Facebook and that's about it. But I think he would also be an interesting, you know, person to talk about or talk to. Um, but anyway, so there is that, that sort of, um, it's a being a member of a very small tribe. Right. And that basically becomes Seattle. Right. Because we are we're 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 in the middle of nowhere, man. You know, um, it, there is a certain island characteristic to our little mini culture. And, and, it, yeah. and it does have to do with the physical distance. I think, you know, that it's not just an easy drive to the next city over. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, Tacoma and Everett and all that stuff kind of counts as Seattle. It's still our area. Well, and I think because we're so isolated, this is one of the few places in the world I've lived where, like you're in Snohomish, because of how isolated we are, that's Seattle, <laughs> right? Like, nobody would blink an eye if you were to like, yeah, no, I'm Seattle-based. Yeah. You know, even though it's, you know, 30 miles away. No, if I'm talking to someone uh, halfway across the world, I sometimes don't bother with the Snohomish word. I just don't. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. So, but if you're in a major metropolitan area, like, you know, you're in New York City and you say, like, hey, I'm from New York. And they're like, well, where are you? And you're like, well, I'm in, you know, New Haven, Connecticut. Yeah, that, that, that's. <laughs> They'll be like, no, fuck you. You're right. not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but here, yeah, I mean, 90 miles away, hell, you know, Yakima is basically Seattle. Yeah. Right. Because there's nothing around us. Yep. So that's fascinating. Um, I, I have a lot to talk about about that, but. I'm sure nobody wants to hear my, my pontifications about Seattle music and whatever. Um, although we'll probably get back into it just cause, just cause. So after you did CZ, um, it is, how did, how did reciprocal come into being like? Well, reciprocal recording was going actually before CZ records. Mm -hmm. CZ sprouted up in the year between, uh, incarnation one or, or location one of reciprocal and location mm -hmm. two um and location two was the one that everybody knows about it's the one it's the one at the corner of sixth and leary uh right that, um jack and dino and i uh uh got started up in 1986. Mm -hmm. so version one was 1984 version two started in 86 and went through 91 mm -hmm. but that that missing year in there um uh, 85 was the year where I said, ah, I got nothing going on. I just got booted out of my studio space. 
Um, I know what we'll do. We'll start a record label. That'll that'll be great. <laughs> we did that. And, and um, uh, what was your well, question again? After what? Did I do what? So I no, I said oh. after CZ oh. reciprocal came yeah, in. Yeah, so yeah. how did how did that basically come to be? Well, let's let's jump into reciprocal version two, uh, and okay. and that came to be because. Everybody kind of knew I had a studio packed up in boxes because I lost my lease over in Interbay. And mm -hmm. I had uh, I'd met Jack during the uh, the process of recording uh, the Deep Six thing. And he called me up and said, hey, I got an idea. Do you, would you consider going into business uh, with me, for instance, and uh, doing a studio? And I said, uh, well, I do happen to have a studio. Why? You got a location? He said, yeah, I know where one is. I happen to know where one is. Mm -hmm. uh, so he shared that information. I took a look. We talked about it for a few hours. And then we called up the, the landlord and said, hey, we'd like to uh, like to rent this place. And uh, mm -hmm. we ended up getting the lease and the keys and um, right away set in there to try to, you know, rehab it a little bit. It was in shambles. It was a little bit messy. So we kind of fixed up the control room, put all my gear in there. And uh, I think it was in May of 1986, we opened for business reciprocal recording number two. Wow. And we got really busy. Uh, it just, it just, yeah, no, of course, you know, Jack had his draw. He was already kind of doing four track recordings out of his house. And um, I had clients still left over from version one. So um, as soon as we put the open for business sign up, it got busy and then we um right away just started you know just working as much as we could and we slowly incremented the rate up i think we started at 15 dollars an hour there and uh Amazing. we we eked it up to 17.50 and then 20, <laughs> 22.50 25 and we started out as an eight track studio with kind of everything we had all just patched together you know it, jack brought his little mixer okay let's strap that onto my mixer okay good now we have 20 channels I love it. So it was, it was, a, it looked pretty homespun at first, but then after the, I could see that, that, um, all those $10 and $20 bills were piling up. I, I started to get, uh, think like an investor and I started buying bigger audio gear and, and started to look, look ahead to the future. And, um, I, I somehow ha made, made a lot of good timely investments and that just kept the growth going and, Within That's, five years, it was a full-blown twenty-four track place with uh, with a really decent decent console and uh, a pretty good microphone collection. So we, we were off and running. That's great. And how long? How long? I mean, Reciprocal is still running to some extent, right? Or well, no? well, technically, the name was retired. Um, I right. wanted to retire the name. I felt like um, it, it was it was uh, midway through nineteen ninety one. This would have been the fifth fifth year of operation. Mm -hmm. At that point, uh, things had evolved. Um, Jack had gotten really busy, and he'd gotten much better known. The you know the the first Nirvana record, Bleach, had been recorded. Right. Um, uh, a lot of the you know the early sub pop recordings, uh, the stuff from. Uh, Soundgarden and uh, and uh, Green River, and then into Mud Honey. Uh, all of that stuff was starting to, you know, get some attention. 
and the name reciprocal uh, I started to observe became glued to Jack and Sub Pop. It was like, oh, reciprocal, Jack and Sub Pop's place. Right. And at that point, it kind of went contradictory to where my head was at, which was guy who Sub Pop didn't like. I, Sub Pop and I, I, for some reason, they didn't want to run over and 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 be chummy. Uh, right. They sort of saw me as a some sort of a threat that might uh, pop up again. What, why do you think that is? I, I really don't know. I put out some clear signals that I was <laughs> I was out of the record business, and and literally they called me up one day. This was right after they started up. They called me up, said, "You know, hey, this is Bruce or Jonathan. I can't remember who called me. Uh, we'd like to meet with you. Can you come meet with us?" And I went, "Oh boy, okay, great. They're gonna we're gonna make a giant merger." We're going to all be friends. <laughs> There'll be some money in it for me. And right. they'll use my studio and everything will be great. And and they sat me down. And I remember Bruce was just drawing on the floor with the layout of the first Green River album. And Jonathan just sat there and said, okay, so the question is this. Uh, do you intend to go back and uh, to, to keep doing the record label business? And I said, no. And then he paused and they looked at each other. He said, okay, thank you. <laughs> so who knows someone has to ask him what what they were thinking uh, and I, I hope they weren't i don't know i should have said yes just to find out what they were going to say but well yeah yeah i i uh i think experience not to i'm going to be a little bit careful here but a, a band fairly early band on on sub pop by the way if i'm not if i'm not careful please chop it out <laughs> oh no no <laughs> To to be honest, okay, I'm okay. gonna say all yes. that shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, that's fine. Like I, I want the shit, but well, yeah, we'll we'll talk about it after the fact, just in case. Um, a band who was um, not the first wave, but second wave on sub pop. Um, so you know, late '80s, very, 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 very touching the '90s, right? Um, became internationally known although not humongous anyway so i was managing another band that a couple of these members were in and i reached out and was like hey you know your band actually has i forget what it was like you know a million and a half views on spotify whatever it was right so this is a band that you know sub pop had dropped like nothing had never paid them anything and I was like, okay, well, so I started digging even deeper and I was like, well, okay. E even by my, my like back of the envelope, like what, one of my, my things that I do is music licensing. So, you know, I, I know a little bit about it. And so I was diving in and saying like, at the very least, they owe you a couple of grand, right? Over 30 years. And they're like, no, we've never received anything. Just, you know, bills, 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 bills. So they actually sent me the original contract from, from, you know, Bruce and John, and it was half a page long, the entire contract page long, um, that basically said, fuck you. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. Like that, that was basically the contract. So <laughs> then I went back to, to main guy and band and said, well, can you send me some of the statements you've gotten over the years? And he's like, oh, yeah, no, I get them every month. So every month he gets a statement saying, 
you, you know, we paid, you know, I think it was like 20 grand, you know, for the, the original recording. And every month it goes up, goes up, goes up, goes up. So, you know, 25, 30 years later, it's like, you now owe 37,000. <laughs> right? It just keeps going up and up and up. Uh -oh. <laughs> and so it doesn't matter what they sell. Uh -huh. Like, no matter what, like, he, he keeps using this, yeah, you owe, you owe, you owe, you owe. You know? Um, and, and in this particular case, it doesn't really matter because, you know, guy has his own money. Like, he doesn't care. But, um, you know, and I'm not saying that Johnny, you know, I'm not saying that, that Sub Pop was, was bad, per se. Like, th that's just kind of what record labels do. Right? I, and like, I'll add to that, I think that there was a period in their in their youth as a label where they were bad, bad. In other words, they didn't know how to be good. And they thought that being by being bad, that would create good. If you get what I'm saying, yeah. words, no, I they, totally they wanted to be the, the Sid vicious of the um, Seattle record label biz. They just wanted mm -hmm. to, to be sloppy, messy, outrageous and audacious. And, and oh, yeah. I know because I tried to get money from them when, when we recorded bands for them. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> The thing that kills me is that when they finally sold, they sold for like $12 million, which is, you know, not insignificant. But honestly, if, if they were such bad boys of finance, they could have sold for way fucking more. Mm. Well, I think, they, I think they grew a good side. Um, my, my theory is that they learned a few lessons along the way. And, uh, and of course, I think the business probably changed character a little bit when Bruce split. Um, right. But I don't know. I, I don't go in there. I don't ask, and I'm not privy to gossip. So I yeah. can only look no, at the and, and, and go, hmm, hmm. Yeah, no. and, and I don't want to really dive into that. Yeah. Um, just because. Dive into it with. Part of the problem, another, you know, a, a trait of Seattle is that everything is so small. So when, like, you talk about one thing, it gets around. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, really fast, <laughs> like really and, fast. And, and 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 now that you mention it, when, whenever I think about the Seattle music scene and the and the way people act and the way they act together and the way it's grown, I always go back to the gold rush. If if you know what 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 uh, position Seattle was in during the gold rush and how everyone suddenly like turned into a supplier for gold miners. Yeah. You know, and, and and nobody was trying to advise them, hey, you're going to freeze to death. Hey, you're going to die. Hey, you're going to starve. They were like, hey, you need a shovel. Hey, you need a shovel. Hey, you need this, need that. You know, everybody was all happy about the business. And and we just kind of like, we grew, we we made money on it. We just said, hey, they're, they're, they're selling dreams up there and they're coming through here. So get your shingle out. We're making some money. Yeah, I mean. And the same like goes for selling records and what have you around here too. It's a. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I, I remember, um, actually, there are a couple of them, but, but one I remember the most is, again, I grew up in the North End. Um, Wait a minute, well, what happened to Idaho? No, I mean, when I came oh, here. Oh, okay, okay. So, you know, like 14 plus, whatever. And I used to sneak into the Riviera Steakhouse in Linwood. Hmm. And Sounds like they account. had, well, <laughs> hold on. So Riviera Steakhouse had um, Bondage Boys, which is, oh, you know. Oh, I recorded them Amy. too. I recorded them Did too. you? <laughs> yeah. So that was, you know, pre, 
obviously pre Faster Pussycat. I always remember the um, one song Bondage Boys did because I just tickled Be Pink. It was the chorus went, "I'm ready for action because nobody fucks with me. I'm ready for action because nobody fucks with me." It's like, yeah, so that's going to be a hit, guys. <laughs> Tammy slash Timey, depending on uh-huh. you know, I, he gave up on the Timey because nobody could figure it out. Oh, foreign word. Um, He's from Linwood for fuck. Like, I mean, he lives like right around, or he, I'm sorry, his family lived right around the corner from where I am right now. Um, so that's weird. But, um, there was the original Alice Chains, right? Who would play there all the time because they were from, you know, Shoreline. So they'd come to Linwood and like, you know, play whatever. And, and that place was awesome because the owner, you know, was a, a Chinese run steakhouse, right? Mm-hmm. So, they had the, the big bar in the back and the owner knew like, Hey, I can let underage kids in here and I can make some money. Yeah. But he wouldn't let him in, you know, he wouldn't let us into the bar. So I would actually go in and like stand in the hallway. So I couldn't be in the bar, but I was in the hallway, like where you can see everything. Mm-hmm. And I'd listen to all these bands, you know, you know, Allison Chains was one of them um, back when they were glammy, which we can talk about in just a minute, but um, you know, I, I, I want to say Coven played there several times, you know, like all, all of these metal bands, you know, played there all the time. And that was really fascinating to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And so suddenly uh, two or three years goes by and the majors start picking off the bands left and right, you know? And it's like, I, I mean, honestly, I forget which one was the first, but I think Soundgarden was probably the first they picked off. Um, yeah, I think I think Soundgarden first got it. It was like the late '80s, like '88 or so. I think. Yeah, was it SFD yeah. or something that right first said, "Hey, Soundgarden." Yeah, right. Which is funny because Soundgarden to me was um, it, it sounds stupid now to say, but they sounded like musical salad to me when I first heard them. You know, like it was good, but I could like I I couldn't put it on a record player and play it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, listening to it live was great because um, they were kind of all over the place. And, and again, uh, that might be a, a, a Seattle thing, right? Where it's like, oh, let's just play all this music all over the place. And uh, there wasn't a lot of rhyme or reason to anything. Um, now, the only thing that I got out of Soundgarden early on was that the only rule that seemed to kind of arrive at their performance was it was going to be epic in some nature. There was always going to be epic moments, you know, the, well, the, the, Chris the, was the, the vocals hot. were going to hit some spot where everything was all out there. You know what I mean? There was, right. it was never a day where it's, you know, Hey, here's, um, here's 10 little tunes that are peaceful numbers that we wrote, <laughs> you know, it, that's not going to happen. They're going to they're gonna arrive at some epic epic juncture after another in order to. Well, yeah, okay. So you know, like like Andy Wood, right? So, you know, which they were roommates, you know, Chris and Andy. Um, they were both fucking hot, man. So I mean, they were those people that that um, they had that stage presence that. You know, even the frat boys wanted to fuck them. Right. So I, I think there were there was something of that going on too, uh-huh. right? Like th- they were very attractive humans. Um, at least on stage. Neither one of them had a shirt endorsement 
No, that, that's <laughs> definitely true. So there was a lot of that going on, and and um, it it seemed like very uh, um, contained in, in this area, and when that kind of blew off, and suddenly it's like, oh, everybody knows these guys. Like that was a a really weird sensation, right? So for me, the weirdest one was Alice in Chains, um, who, again, I'd seen at the Riviera Steakhouse and like, oh, I mean, you know, Lane had, you know, giant hair, <laughs> like they all had giant hair. They were, they were a glam metal band. And I was like, yeah, they were a lot of fun to see. And I was, it was late 89 early i'm sorry early 90 and i was driving down to la because i decided i was going to move in you know live in la and i was going through the grapevine and uh, uh it, one of the la stations anyway came on and i heard man in the box i was like that's and they said allison i was like that's not the band i know <laughs> right like what what the fuck happened you know in like you know a year that suddenly you know these guys are you know famous and i remember i i was staying in this this horrible little um, apartment complex in in burbank and one of the guys i was at the pool for fuck's sake but like laying out of the pool like you know just enjoying the sunshine talking to this guy and, and we we're talking about music and and I mentioned Alice in Chains is like oh my god they're great and I was like I have this little like four track demo that they they put out you know like 86 or 87 whenever it was and he's like I'll give you a thousand dollars like immediately he's like I'll give you a thousand dollars I was like well I don't have it with me <laughs> but you know whatever so that to me was like oh my god people are actually paying attention to this shit and it was it was a really weird you know sensation like wow you know because to me it was like oh that that's the band i snuck in to see you know at a steakhouse in, in linwood mm -hmm. you know yeah it, it is it is interesting to see the end of the ball of string before it gets to be the ball in other words right you're you're basically experiencing just everyday life and nothing seems very consequential and then one day you realize oh th this has changed you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. A switch has tr uh, been thrown. I, my 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 moment like that happened when I walked into the QFC on the way home from work. I don't know, probably headed home from you know some session with some band, and it's probably nineteen, whatever it was, ninety one. And get into the grocery store, and I'm picking out the frozen pizza and the beer, and more beer, and some more frozen pizza, and, and it's like. Smells like teen spirit <laughs> coming over the damn PA system, you know, and then you're in an elevator somewhere in the East Coast, like two weeks later, visiting relatives. It's another song off the album. It's like, what the hell? That's and, and, and then people started just walking up to me, you know, like in other cities going, hey, I hear that you have something to do with Seattle rock music. Do you know Nirvana? <laughs> and like, or do you know Soundgarden? And, and then... You know, that was like, oh, what the hell? It was, it was just, yeah, I, I don't know what it was, what, what, what 
Yeah, I don't know. So on, on my- It didn't bother me. I just figured, okay, that's how it happens. That's how famous happens. Okay, good. They're famous. Sweet. Yeah, and, and I, I think, well, okay, two things. So one, my 18th birthday, um, I went to a show at the Hub Ballroom, and it was Crunchbird, Tad, and Screaming Trees. I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry, Nirvana. <laughs> sorry. It all becomes a blur at some point, but sure yeah. is. so um I I had albums by you know everyone there, but I was actually fascinated by Crunchbird and, and Jamie Crunchbird is actually a good friend of mine now because he's you know he's interesting as fuck. Um but I didn't know him back then. I was like, I've got to go see Crunchbird. Like, I didn't care about the other bands. Like, I'm just going to go see Crunchbird. And so I showed up and there were, it was a pretty packed show, you know, for a hub, hub ballroom show. Probably, you know, three or 400, maybe 500 people. And I watched, you know, the Crunchbird set because they opened. Had a great time. Went out, probably got stoned, whatever the fuck I did. Like, I was, you know, a mess. Come back in. Um, and then... I want to say it was Tad. I'm pretty sure Tad was the middle. And, you know, Tad always does a great show. So I was like, okay, great. And Nirvana came in and I was like, okay, this is great. I'm going to go back outside and get stoned. Mm. And that was kind of the moment where I walked outside to get stoned. And like 200 other people came in. Right. So by the time I came back in. You couldn't fit the room anymore. It was packed. Yeah. And I was like, but I just bought this at, you know, Cellophane Square for like $3, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, why, why are all these people? This is not supposed to be packed. Yeah. 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 And that, that's when I kind of realized, like, I, I've lost this. Like, I am no longer in control of, or not control. I no longer understand what's happening. Hey, it you know? Um, And I actually left halfway through the set because I was like, oh, I've seen him before. Fuck it. I'll see him again. And never saw them again after that. Because, no, I'm not going to go in front of, you know, I'm not going to stand in a room of, you know, 10,000 people to watch a band. Like, I just won't do that. Um, so, yeah, th there's, again, we keep circling back, or I'm sorry, I keep circling back to the, this, like, weirdness of Seattle and sort of the... Uh, um, the personalities that make Seattle like a, a really weird place. Right. And, and I think it is like, it's a super weird place. Um, because we don't, <laughs> it's uh, got weird people in it. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, well, I mean, <laughs> we, we have, we have the, the highest suicide rate uh, of a major city. Well, look out in the United man. States. Yeah. Um, we have the highest alcoholic, rates of anywhere in the u.s outside of alaska guilty cool. <laughs> this is coffee <laughs> coffee um no so it it's fascinating so uh, let's let's get back to you a little bit because i i've been pontificating for no reason for a while um you spent your entire career 
recording, mastering, you know, mixing a bunch of bands. Um, well, I did a few other things in my entire career, but fine, nothing fine. much. But the reason we're talking is all right, about your right. The thing that you're drawn yeah. to, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to ask a couple of rapid fire questions that oh. are probably pedestrian and stupid, but we're going to ask them anyway. Um, who was your favorite band to master? I know it's a total trick, trick question, right? <laughs> so, Why would I have a favorite band to master? <laughs> well, what I mean is, so you're listening to it. it. Is that like, which one were you happy to finally get done with? <laughs> you can answer it however you want. But I mean, my question is. Oh, which, um, which of the bands that you've mastered have been your favorite bands? Like, which is. Yeah, the, oh, that works too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. Ooh. Actually, hold hold on, Chris. Let's go backwards. Okay. I might think of the what answer. The, I don't know. What is a band that, that you've been paid to master, but you keep listening to over and over again, even though you're not getting paid to listen to it? You're like, oh, this is great. So I'm just going to keep listening to it. No, oh, shoot. <laughs> I usually I usually set them aside when I'm done with them. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that makes sense. But I mean, oh, 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 I I think I know what you mean. Like, okay, you get all done with it, and then you still like to listen to it, right? Yeah, okay. So you've been paid. Well, you're like, well, sometimes I, I you know, well, what happens there is sometimes that there's some hidden meaning or emotional attachment that that arrives with the package. Mm -hmm. And that'll sometimes cre create a kind of a love affair um, that I will get with the music. Um, that happened uh, uh, recently. I actually got to record a band and then someone else mixed it. They got some semi-famous guy um, to mix it, but then I got to do the mastering. And then I took it and I listened to it maybe a hundred times because I really, I really love the songs. This was mm -hmm. the final uh, album for the, the local band called Math and Physics Club. They were kind of oh yeah. I, I've been meaning to check them out. Yeah, yeah. They're you know they were kind of a it's they're kind of like that soft edge kind of a rock kind of like a death cab for cutie kind of a thing melodic mm -hmm. and whatnot. But these guys looked me up and and said, hey, you want to do a recording? I said, well, that no, that's impossible. I don't have a studio anymore. And they said, well, we mean location. And then I found out it was just like a few miles away here in Snohomish. And you know what? Wow. I, would wow. I like to make an album? I was like, well, why the hell not? So. I fell in love with the songs. I really liked the guys in the band. We all hit it wow. off great. And then um, mastering it was was wonderful. And I, I really, really liked it. Anyway, end of story. No, I, I, I totally get that. So again, I told you we're, we're the, the rapid fire oh, okay. question so, part. I slowed um, you down, keep rapiding. Let's do it. Yeah. Your mastering process. Like how do you work through that? Well, well. Well, um, the process mentally is basically just you start by listening and mm -hmm. you kind of give yourself uh, a little bit of time to kind of hear what's there, you know, mm -hmm. before you make any decisions. I mean, the worst thing you can do mastering is deciding that you always do things a certain way. The best right. thing you can do is to forget about the way you always do things and start by listening and say, what do we have here? And just make simple observations maybe listen a little bit more and develop a plan about what to do about the observations you're making. Mm -hmm. Then the next step is you, you get your mastering chain together. In other words, you put your files 
at the, at, at the front end, and then you arrange the processors the way you want them. And usually I put them in the same way they always go. They're digital processors, and I'm usually using universal audio uh, UA stuff because I know it very well and I love it. Um, line up my processors, usually about seven or eight of them. Um, the, the dynamic processors are usually at the tail end. The tonal processors and spatial stuff is usually at the front end. Mm -hmm. um, then the process becomes a kind of a a kind of a, a slow walk through all the material while layering in very basic processing to see if you can achieve a betterment of the entire grouping. In other words, maybe a recording comes to you and for some reason the whole thing is missing high end. Put on a little high end. How's the whole thing sound? Better? Okay, good. Then you reach a point where you say, okay, I've pretty much made any general adjustments to the group. Now it's time to pass back through it multiple times. Maybe not a full listen, but a good 30 seconds, 30 seconds for the next tune, 30 seconds for the next tune. And you start to refine your adjustments and indiv individualize them. So you, you kind of increasingly become more critical and you start to examine your output. You look at your output in terms of its um, level and characteristic you make any changes to dynamics that need to be made. Maybe maybe you have an extra dynamic mix. That might involve doing more squishing, more bringing together from the uh, low level to the high level. Dynamics need to be brought closer. Right. And it's all aiming to reach, reach an output that meets the following criteria. Sounds good to everyone. Meaning you play this and everyone goes, everyone goes, I like the way that sounds. Now, why do they say that? Because it meets some universal characteristic where it has an expected spectrum. <clears throat> you know, we hear it, we hear highs, we hear lows, we hear everything in the middle. Right. And we think that's what I want to hear. Uh, number two, you have to fulfill an artistic objective. So if, if the artist writes the song and they intend it, to pacify a butterfly. You better make the song sound like it's going to pacify a butterfly. If that right. means not too much 4K, so be it. Mm -hmm. yeah, chances are they're not doing that. Chances are um, it's it's a hard rock song. They want to melt your face and, and uh, shred your something. Well, you have to make sure the tone is the face melting tone and the, and the dynamic is the gut shredding dynamic. So you have to, you have to join the the um, the team of of, uh, of artistic goals, and right. if you don't, then then you're not you're not doing your job. So can can we back up just a second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before you master, do you listen to the entire album? No. Or do you just kind of do like bits and pieces? Bits and pieces. Okay. No. Perfect. I no, mean, that's what I would it's, do. It's, you can spot there's there's consistencies you can spot in a very quick short time. You know, and if if I just quickly dip into all ten of the songs on your album, and every one of them comes up sounding like it has a weird resonance at at 180 cycles, and there's no high end whatsoever, I'm going to rapidly reach the conclusion I don't need to listen to it. I can just start throwing on those those corrections, and then and because I have to do this, Glenn, I have to save my ears, I have to save my energy, 
Well, <laughs> Definitely. I have, to, I have to save it and not, not like spend it frivolously. I'm keeping it so that once I've got it down to, I think it's there. Is it there? I better damn well be sharp right then and there. And if right. I'm not, then I better do another smart thing, which is set it down, wait for, wait for the recharge, wait for the refreshment, wait for the overnight, come back and say, fresh ears, what have I got here? And you again, you try to hear it without telling yourself you already know what it is. Because once you tell yourself, oh, I know what the problem is, or I know what it's doing, or I know it's perfect, guess what? You're done and you're not going to hear anymore. You're only, you can only hear wh when you allow yourself to not know what you think you'll know. So is there any band you've refused to master? I don't. I don't think so. Maybe there's been a few where I've, I've been discouraging in, in that I haven't been reaching reachable by phone or email. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, I, I assume there's probably a band somewhere where you're like, I can't save this. So I don't want my name on it. Right. Um, and I've been through that too. Like in my brief label stuff, I, I've had a few bands submit stuff where I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> no you know what? there's nothing to save this. The interesting mistake I've made throughout my life is I don't say no to people. I don't worry about my name and I don't right. worry about, I don't worry about association, uh, uh, association drag. In other words, it's, I don't do that thing where it's like, oh, I got to pick and choose. I got to only pick people that are, as, that are only going to advance my career. You know, I've seen I've seen that employed where it's like, oh, I got to make sure I only work with stuff that's going to do me good. You know, I don't want to I don't want to work with guys that are like, you know, everybody thinks aren't good. So, OK, so this is something really interesting, Chris. And, and, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a humanist first and a professional right. second. <laughs> OK, so this is something really interesting to me because um, a lot of people don't know your name, even though you're associated with a lot of bands that they know. Yeah. So you've kind of been behind the scenes. I haven't in, been trying. In a lot of ways. I, I, you know, I, I think when I say I haven't been trying hard to be like every the name, you know, I, I think I have the proof now to back it up. <laughs> but you working in the freaking okay. industry now, 30, it's going on 36 years. It's like, right. Oh, OK. Right. Yeah. So it, as, as sort of proof of that, I actually sent um, your very limited, by the way. So you need to work on your Wikipedia. But I did, uh, I, Glenn. I did not write that, and it's just completely full of mistakes. And I wouldn't know yes. thing about changing it. But what I'm saying is, yeah, you should. Okay. But um, if I cared, so I, I sent that <laughs> list to to a few friends of mine, and they're like, "Wow, I've never heard of this guy. Like that's awesome, right? Like they had no clue." So. Um, and to be, to be honest, Indino was kind of the same way. Like, I mean, it, different pathways you guys have taken, obviously. Um, but he's kind of the same way. He's like, oh, uh, yeah, I've done this stuff, like whatever. Like n neither one of you are, are people who, um, actively seek the spotlight. Right. But yet you're both extraordinarily, um, critical to a lot of music that, that people listen to, you know, tens of thousands, millions of times a day, maybe, right? I, I'm not, I'm not anymore. I mean, well, I'm, a, I'm an antique in, in the music world. Well, all right, fine. 
I'll give you that begrudgingly. But um, what what is fascinating is that people listen to that music more. I mean, Chris, let's think about it. Music that was put out in the 90s is now considered classic rock. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like if you would, you know, mastered the first Aerosmith album in, you know, 1970 and we're in 19, you know, 85. Right. So people are still listening to that stuff and they're still very into it. Um, the point I was trying to make is, is again, that's kind of the, even though both you and Jack, neither one of you are from Seattle, right? You're, you're transplants. Correct. Um, it's still kind of that, that Seattle thing where you're like, well, I'm hands off, right? Like I, I just do my job and I do my job really well and I'm not looking for fame, like, you know, whatever. Um, I find that really, really, really interesting, you know, and, and, and commendable to be honest. Well, it, right? in a way it's, it's longevity producing to do that because the moment you enter into the, the, the fame game, so to speak, volatility goes way up. You know, you're, you're, you're now in it because, and, you're, and your fuse is now burning faster. Um, you're, um, there will be so m- many more reasons to quit if you don't succeed at a, at, a, at, a, at a fame game than if you're a service industry worker. You know, which is what I consider myself. I consider myself service industry. You okay? Oh, I'm fine. I want to make sure you're going to live. No, I'm fine. Sorry. All right. Good. 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 <clears throat> Brief cough. And smoking does. Yeah. All right. Oh yeah. Fine. Okay. Okay. So anyway, um, and and I I I guess I I feel. I feel like it's, I hate to use the word blessed, but I, I feel lucky to have had this job where I get to be the helper, you know, where mm-hmm. I get to help people out. Now it's, it's not my, it's not my ego and my, 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 my open nakedness on the line. When that, when every record comes out, all I get to do is basically be the, 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 the hospital, you know, the, the, the person in the, in the, in the OR who basically, passes the scalpel, maybe makes a slice or two, does this or that to, to somebody's baby. And then mm-hmm. somebody's baby is all nice and healthy and perfect. And then it runs out and does its thing. But, but I get to participate. I get to be a, a team member. I get to be a team member of an artistic team. Right. And that, that to me is, um, is an opportunity to have a visit and a tour and an exploration. So, you know, it's it's all very brief for me. I don't get to stay with a client for long, and I certainly don't get dragged along with them when they're when they're up on the receiving their you know their awards or anything like that. But I do get to kind of have that little insight in, into what they're thinking, what what they're doing, what their aims are, uh, and and share a little bit in the joy of success. Um, you know, so I, I I think that's beautiful, man. I mean. What, I, I I, I would like, if, if there's a way for me to, um, if someone said, we'll make you a little bit more famous and you'll get a bunch more money, I would probably go for it. <laughs> so, I could use the cash. 
but I really don't. Want, I really don't want the name getting. I, I don't care about the name stuff. Have you ever had a band call you out and say like, "Hey, Chris, Chris Hansick, like, you know, mastered this record. It's awesome." Have you ever had that happen? Yeah, sometimes. Okay, not in a prominent way that makes any significant difference for any reason, but. But yeah, I mean, people thank me all the time, you know, or, uh, you know, sometimes you, you and you feel very, re, you feel good when they do that. I, I'm not um, immune to having someone say, hey, nice job. Um, you know, you really did an outstanding job on that and we really appreciate it. And, 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 and some of my clients I've known for decades and and uh, sure. they're like they're like either friends or children or or family for, for the most part. You know, I. Right. I can't turn my ever turn my back on them and they know I'm always there. And that's, that's kind of my shtick, you know, um, any band that you can consider famous. Well, guess what? I work with them somewhere in the mid to late eighties. Everybody <laughs> I work with since has been just, just the people that come out of the woodwork with the bands that you've never heard of or might've, might've heard of, but right. You know, I haven't been dry. I haven't been driving the, you know, Please, more famousness. You know, I, I just, I can't do that. I, I, it doesn't seem to be cool. It's not organic, you know. It's more organic just to say, hey, who are you? What? Oh, just met you. Oh, okay, you got a band? Oh, okay, I'll work with you. Oh, you're a nice guy. Okay, fine. You know. And so have, have, have you had a situation where you've worked with um, somebody's child? Like somebody you yeah, worked with? Yeah, yeah. Like I did, okay. I did your dad's record? Yeah, I've done, I have a few of those now. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I mean, to my dad said he worked with you in '84. He's like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, uh huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, d don't meet that. Don't meet that beat like your dad did, right? Like, you know. Yeah. Um. Fascinating. So, uh, let's. We've been on for a little while, so let, let's start to wrap up here. Okay. All right. I have a couple of very quick, well, hopefully quick. We'll see. We are in the midst of COVID, and it sucks. Is that affecting you in any way? Well, yeah. I mean, business. Is it affecting your business in any way? Well, uh, I think it affects my business in that it's been a bit of a suppressant for band activity overall, um, especially early on. I think people just kind of went into shock and they just kind of lost a little bit of that band pizzazz, you know, it, it, with the realization that maybe shows weren't going to be happening soon. Right. And um, and just the, the fact that you, yeah, you have to, when you do your, when you get together with, bands you're going to have to get together with people that aren't in your household and all that other stuff and you know i know a lot of people most people have been doing the as safe as i can while still maintaining my sanity while still fitting all the pieces of my puzzle together kind of thing we've been compromising you know the world has not gone into a, a sterile clinical isolation lockdown no. like maybe you know, some the purest of, of, of our science minds might want us to do. And on the other hand, we I also see, see people running around just being willy nilly stupid. And and I'm I'm a science respecting person. And I'm also a generally pragmatic and smart person. 
and I'm also a risk-taking person. So I fit all these things together and I go, okay, here's the plan for Chris. And what that means to me is I've been a little bit careful when I go into places I consider dangerous. I have a part-time job I go to twice a week and I have to wear a mask while I'm at that job because I work around others and I even work around the public a little bit. And I'm just old enough that everybody thinks I might be taking a little bit of a risk and I probably am, but you know, I just, just doing what I do. I'm anxious to get back to maybe a little bit more normal. Yeah, no, it's, it's weird. Um, have you gone out to like a bar or whatnot? Yes, I have. It's, it, it's, I've been to a bar. I, I went to a bar and had lunch in a cowboy saloon in Southern Montana in late mm-hmm. September. And when I walked in the door, they said, sir, you don't need to wear a mask in here. I said, oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> and I took my mask off and sat down and had my burger. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's my part of the world. Like, well, I mean, where I grew up, by the way, Um, what town was it? I might, I rode my bicycle from uh, the border of, um, uh, Canada in, uh, like uh, above Eureka. And I rode it down mm -hmm. to Pinedale, Wyoming on all the, uh, all the forest roads in the mountains on the great divide mountain bike route back in September. Uh, Wallace, Idaho. Oh, yeah. Okay. I stopped in there on the way home. Uh, Center of the universe, dude. When, when, when I was a kid, I actually made money telling tourists where the whorehouses were. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. No, I, I literally make money. Like, oh, hey, kid, there's a dollar if you tell me where the best whorehouse is. I was like, oh, right there. That's such a pretty little, that's such a pretty quaint little town. It is it's yeah, a, I mean, a wonderful it's walk to walk around the town. Just to, yeah. my wife just my wife ran up and down all the stair steps she could find on the hills. Oh, there are lots. Yeah, there are lots. Yeah, um, and every once in a while, I actually think about buying a building there mm-hmm. just for the fuck of it. Yeah, right. Um, and my dad is still there, so I'm like, ah, oh, well, maybe, you know, like. But my my current girlfriend is like, dying a fire. Like, there's no fucking way we're going to live. I was like, oh, it would be so much fun. <laughs> For a day. <laughs> right. Um, but can you imagine owning an entire building? Like, oh, okay, well, 50,000 square feet? Yeah. I don't know. Right. Talk about setting up a studio. It's, it's a, it looks like it could be a happening little cult, cultural spot. If uh, yeah, it's got, it's got a couple little art galleries and things. So, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I'm not going to hold my breath. Okay. Um. <laughs> But, you know, maybe, maybe. So, Chris, let's end with, with like, two two questions, okay? Okay. One is your electronica releases that you've done. Your September, December. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's electronica. So I, didn't re- I didn't recognize the word, but okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about that just for a minute. Mm-hmm. And then um, I want to give people the, the chance to, to understand, like, who you are and whatnot. Um, and hopefully book you for mastering. Oh. So let's let, let's start with your recordings, and we'll get to that, and then whatever we'll go from there. So you've done just one, or is it two? I have one album out. Okay, it's only one. Okay. Um. So all music was kind of up in the air, so it was, it was hard for me to to tell, but 
I I actually listened to September December. Oh. Um, and it's fascinating because I love that it, it's sort of a a, a a modern day tubular bells, right? You remember tubular yeah, yeah, bells? I remember it very well. I, I thought that, that was maybe a little bit more arranged than orchestrated, though. Mine's a little bit more smudgy. It, it's, dirty. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a uh, it's not a labored uh, work. It's very much a just a, a flowing flowing uh, leakage of. All right. So yeah. so let me back up. Yeah. I don't smoke weed very often. I was really high when I listened to it. And it was great. Good for you. <laughs> and I, I, I'm sure it's still great, but I'm just like it sounded like tubular bells to me. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I so I remember at the time it was kind of it was kind of therapy. It was actually therapy music for me at the time. I I, I it, it, believe it or not, some some of the sounds that you get on that are, are kind of actually my core feeling at the time that I was doing them. Mm-hmm. And none of none of the creations on there were anticipated very much at all. I I allowed myself to be surprised. In other words, I would turn I would turn on the the record button, and I'd set myself up and go, okay, how about this sound? Okay, and I would only give myself the faintest clue about what I might do, mm-hmm. and then I would let it just pop into my head because um, part part of my music making has always been a kind of a pure discovery in other words go very very low on the planning go very 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 high on the discovery in other words uh Mm -hmm. find out find out if if you open it up in here what might possible what what will happen what will pop out i always i always wanted to be surprised by something that i didn't know but i just now found out and uh right i think that that record represents my attempt to do that as as a as a as a guy in late so late nineteen eighty five. Is that something you'd want to keep doing? Or is it did you get it out of your system? No, I didn't get it out of my system. I, I have made many recordings over the years. They've just never been wrapped up in an album. I've I always but I, I suffer from several problems, you know, mental blocks and whatnot where I right. record something and go, Oh, well, that's pretty good, but not good enough. And I'll put it away. And then, and then I'll lose, and then I'll lose it, right? And then I'll come along and go, oh, let's do some more stuff. Oh, that's pretty good, but nobody's going to want to hear that. You know, put it away. And and for but, me, I, when I do bring the stuff out, people listen to it and go, yeah, I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> but 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 then again, we live in a society where where people just throw shit out, and and some and you'll find an audience for it. Yeah, true. Yeah. True. So. Okay. One of my last questions is going to be, why don't you just throw it out? Just let it go. You know, that's, and that's, that's a, that is a really good question. And I ask myself that a lot. And and that's one of the things that kind of bugs me a little bit. Like, Chris, why did you stop doing this? Like when I was in college, I was, I was also a writer. I wrote, uh, I wrote a play. It was produced in college at Penn state. And after I got done with that, I, I never wrote anything again. And I thought, Chris, why didn't you write anything again? It's like, I don't know. I don't know, Glenn. What's wrong? You know, th- there's, yeah, I, right there with you. <laughs> like a lot of creative stuff, you're like, that's great. And then 10 years, like, no. 
Yeah, right. once you let it go ten or twenty years, is so it gets kind of hard to climb back on. So I, I don't know. I, I so I, I'm I'm hitting. You know, as you get older, like right about the, I'm feeling now where I'm starting to get this idea that hey, dude, your time is running out. You better start planning it carefully. You better start doing what you want to do. You better stop wasting time. And you better yeah. get stuff taken care of if you want to do it. If you don't want to do it, fine, just sit there. But if you do want to do it, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah. I'm right there with you. Like, I'm, I'm a few years younger than you, but I'm a drinker. I'm a smoker. Uh, other stuff, <laughs> and I'm like, no comment. What do you do? Yep. Right. Um, you know, one of the best things that happened to me. Actually, probably my life was my son, who's 19. Um, he reached out right before Christmas. He was like, I want to collect vinyl. It's like, wow. Like, my kid has never talked about vinyl, right? She's like, okay. Um, so I bought him a, a turntable. Mm -hmm. And I bought him a, a what I call a collector's pack of, of vinyl, nice. right? So it was... Um, Ramon's Rocket to Russia, Misfits, Volume 1, and Sex Pistols, Never Mind the Bullocks. Oh, right. Okay. So that's what I gave him. <laughs> and then, because he likes rap, I gave him like, you know, NWA's collective whatever. Like, I don't even know anything about hip hop or rap. So whatever. So I gave him those. And so he, a couple of days ago, I called him up. And I called my kid, and he's listening to Rocket Russia. I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. You know? So we're talking. He's like, I've been up all night listening to Rocket Russia. This is a great album. And now I want to be sedated. <laughs> right, exactly. And and I was like, yes, yes, exactly. It's a great fucking album, right? Yeah. Um, so... Although I, you know, I like, we, I like I, the first album better for some strange reason. Oh, I do too. Yeah. I do too. But <laughs> for whatever reason, I thought Rocket to Russia would would resonate with him better. Mm -hmm. So that's when I got him. Um. Oh, and Aid Stasium is is somebody I'm I'm about to have on too. Because talk about a great producer. Anyway, so <laughs> I hung up with the kiddo and I was like. That's amazing. You know, like uh, having, having a, you know, the kid, like, you know, grasp onto that stuff, you know, after all these years is, you know, pretty fucking amazing, you know, and my kid has never been that way, you know, um, and I totally forgot where we were going with that. <laughs> well, I, I dragged my son out to see a couple of shows. I took him to see uh, Wire and I took him to see Per Ubu. Oh, and I took. Oh my God! Who else have I taken him to see? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I almost took my daughter to see Patty Smith last year, but that was the day the the shit came down with COVID. Right, and and also that show was like three hundred dollars a ticket. By the time you know, um, yeah, I, I had I was supposed to go. I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, it. All right, so why don't we finish this with one last thing? Let's talk about COVID a little bit. Okay. Um, 
and I already asked if it's affected you, whatever, um, business, but uh, personally, how is it? You know, and I should add, business has gone on despite COVID, because let's face it, my business comes in through the computer. I can do do my stuff and send it back out. Right. So in a way, I'm fortunate with that regard. Um, but go on, you were going to ask about something else about COVID? Well, no, I was just saying, like, personally, oh. like, uh, um, how has it affected your life? Like, I, I know you're in Snohomish where, you know, uh, there there are a, a, a few amount of people who are like, well, fuck this. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't exist. Yeah, you're, you know about the barber dude, right? The guy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, he's a he's work. Um, uh, well, the big thing that affected me is, you know, I'm a, I'm at this stage in the ball game. I. I'm a bucket list guy, you know, like I said, uh, it's time is running short. So the big plan I had this year, I've actually been kind of planning for several years. I've been in the process of like two years ago, I went to, please don't laugh. And I'll, I'll, I'll keep this to 30 seconds or less. I went to bicycle. I went to bicycle mechanic school, learned to be a bicycle mechanic. And then I decided I'd, I'd get a job. And so I, I got a part-time job in Seattle as a bike mechanic. And then I decided mm -hmm. I need to build a bike from scratch and build my own wheels so that I can ride it across the country, you know, starting. And I, I chose the a very difficult route, actually, that goes from uh, Banff, Alberta, and then goes down the Rocky Mountains, all on mountain bike trails and some forest roads, a few regular roads, and then mm -hmm. ends in Mexico. And I thought, okay, 2,700 miles and 200,000 feet of gain, and I'm in my early 60s. And I'll do it on a bike I put together with wheels I build, with training I got a couple of months ago. And I thought this would be a great thing to do with this year. And I was all set to do it. And then the stupid COVID came and I had to pull the plug on that. And then we got to September and I thought, oh, man, this is killing me. I'm just going to like, I'm just going to like drink myself to death or something unless I go out and start on this thing. So I did the first thousand miles and the first 70,000 feet of gain. And I got, got halfway wow. through Wyoming. But that gave me so much satisfaction. And I did it through all the COVID towns and despite the hazards and being very careful, you know, just trying to mask up and just trying to not contact people very much and just get in and out of those stores for the, you know, your Gatorade and whatnot. And so next year. what you're talking about is fascinating to me. Um, do you mind if we go a little bit longer? Oh, sure. No, I don't mind. Okay. Um, there, there's that weird thing um, about death, right? And 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 uh, um, living, doing things you want to do, right? And so what you were talking about made me fascinated. Like I, I have a few of those, like bucket list things. I just like fuck it, I want to do them. Right, right. But I, I, as of yet, I haven't done them yet. Make plans, make right? plans. Well, yeah, because you never know, yeah. right? Like you don't know. Um, and you don't. Know, some might, but we do know that it's gonna happen. You know, that's it, well, you yeah, know, no. I mean, we're all gonna die. Species on this earth that kind of has an idea what's coming. You know. Yeah. All the other kids are like, yeah, I'm just having a good day, and we're like, yeah. Well, I'm waiting until a big event happens. You know, and and it's. It, are, are, Chris, are you afraid of death? No, you know, well, 
I'm I'm a little worried about it, but I'm not sure I'm afraid about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so my take on death. I'm just afraid not to to still be careful while walking across the road, you know. Right. So my take on death is if you're going to die, you won't remember it. So it doesn't really matter. I know. Right. So problem solved. The majority, <clears throat> yeah. The majority of pain yeah. is Prior. you remember the pain. Yeah. But if you don't remember the pain, I mean, who cares? Yeah. Right. So I, I, I think about um, a time that, well, I, I won't go into detail, but a, a time that I was really, really, really hurt. But I was super high. And so all I remember is bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the pain at all. Right. Like, I mean, I, I kind of, if somebody asks me, I can be like, oh yeah, I don't know. I remember, you know, feeling that way, but internally, I don't, I don't remember the pain at all. No, I, I think, I think people will corroborate you on that. Uh, and that is that pain seems to be in a, in a, in a sphere that happens while we're still operating somewhat normally. And as soon as you go right. into uh, an extra, extra um, field, pain is no longer recognized by the brain. It just, it's, it, you, you can get to a point where your arms are off or something and it won't hurt. And you'll look at it and go, my arm's off. What do I do? And yep. you may even think I'll need a tourniquet and you could take care of that. But the, but the pain's still waiting. It's going to wait until, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour. Uh, and it, so, it's very curious. But, yeah, I've broken bones, too, where I didn't really feel it. It's kind of like, oh, man, oh, that was horrible. Oh, I'm in shock. Oh, bones are broken. Hmm. Something tells me I need medical attention. And I'm right. Yeah. So for me, if I feel the pain and I'm cognizant about the pain, I know I'm not going to die. Right, right, right. So <clears throat> I've been situations where I'm like, oh, fuck. Well, this sucks. <laughs> but because I'm cognizant of the fact it sucks, I'm fine. Right. It, it's, it's when you, you, you have that, like, I'm not aware of what's happening. Like, that's when death happens. And it, it yeah, it, it's the ultimate fragmentation. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I'm fine. You know, the minute that I don't remember what happened, probably I'm dead. Well, it's like um, I, I was working on a record um, uh, for a, a, a blues musician in from Mississippi, um, Sedell Davis, I think. And he had a mm -hmm. quote on the record. He said, um, he said, Diane's, Diane's not a problem. It takes care of itself. It's the living that's the hard part, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's it's true, you know. As soon as as soon as you die, you you all your problems are over. So uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, it it's, you don't have to plan for it. It's funny, like as humans, we spend so much time worrying about dying, but it's the one thing we all share in common. Mm -hmm. We're all going to die. Yeah, like in the story, like it's going to happen. Um, and I, I think what it comes down to is, you know, trying to figure out like, uh, do you want to make it a, uh, uh, 
you want to make yourself a banner. Like, yeah, you know, like Chris Glenn, like, yeah, yay. Or you just want to live and, and die, right? That's kind of where we I are. I guess you got three choices. You can you can just sit there waiting for it. You can accelerate it. Or, right. or you can say, I'm going to just live a bunch in the meantime. You know, I'm going to squeeze a bunch of, I'm going to try to pack a bunch of shit in my schedule here right now. And I, I think that that seems to be the pragmatic choice. You know, it's like, hmm, you know, we, we, we might die tomorrow and we certainly could if we help ourselves. But if we do none of that, then what are the other choices? Well, you could explore all of the venues and possibilities, which are, which are seemingly endless. Oh, well, that sounds like it might be the right thing to do, you know? I mean, I, I, I do what I do. Mm -hmm. And I know it's not healthy, but I've reached that point of not really caring. Well, you know what I mean. Like, that. We all we all kind of want to die a little bit every day. You know, well, of course, everybody does things that they know. Well, this isn't in my best interest, but at this moment in time, um, yeah. it is my option, and I shall take it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and. So, so I'll offer up one word: counteraction, right? Uh -huh. And and that's kind of what I've what I've done is you know I've I've had a few bad habits along the way myself, and I and I've encountered mm -hmm. little little warning signs or little 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 signs that say, "Hey, look, you're on a hill and you're sliding down it." And I would go, well, "What do I need to do not to go down that hill?" Sure. And 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 usually the answer is, "Oh, you do something that's very." Um, uh, very difficult to do, requires a lot of discipline, and you don't want to do. And I think, what are the other options? Right. And, and and the one option that I keep employing is exercise it's like, and, and diet. Um, so yeah, if, I can eat, if I can eat well and I can exercise, then I feel like I might have a little bit of permission to play around on the weekends, if you know what I mean. Um, no, of course. Yeah. Of course. So let me ask you a question. Chris, do you have kids? Yeah. Yeah, two. How many? Two. Two. Okay. And we, uh, my wife and I, we've raised them. They're um, they they're old now. They're uh, my son is thirty, my daughter is nice. Daughter daughter is twenty seven. Um, Perfect. So, so do you think that that, um, so one thing I'm really drawn to is legacy, mm -hmm. right? So, um. Here's an example. I, uh, you know, my kiddo like playing the Ramones records, right? And I was like, oh my God. Right. So he's 19. Like he should have been listening to it 10 years ago, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, well, you got to remember, it's not part of a social phenomenon now, like it was for us or you, true. Me, or, you know, it, the Ramones, it, again, it's this music for a lot of p younger people is, you know, especially when they get it out of their dad's record collection is it's valuable and it's interesting, but it's not what he, not what all his friends are doing right now. So. Right. Right. So, I mean, the one thing my kid did, which, which I found really interesting because he's never been interested in music before is I called him two days ago and he was listening to rocket Russia. Mm -hmm as I called him. So I was also listening to Rocket Russia at the same time. And so we talked for a few minutes and he was like, 
I've been up all night listening to this record. And I got to be honest, Chris, I kind of cried a little bit. I was oh. like, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's, it's one of the best albums ever released. Yeah, of course. Like, eh. Mm. So he, he's, you know, he's a, you know, he's a 19 year old. So like, he's more interested in like, you know, hip hop and whatnot. Um, and I got him like my son. the best of best of NWA and the, you know, NW, you know, public enemy and like all that shit. But he chose the Ramones album and like, that's what he was listening to. And I was like, oh, you know, I mean, yeah, it was cute. <laughs> so two days later, I get a text from him and it's like, all it said is Sheena is a ch punk rocker. Exclamation point. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you got it, kid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and what's funny is, you know, that was a decade before me. Right. So it's like, you know, that me. Now my kid, who is, you know, at least a generation, you know, uh, ahead. It's fascinating. Right. Like, I mean, just let these kids go with their music. Um, yeah. So, Chris, before I let you go, I, I got to ask a couple of questions, right? So, out of all the bands you work with, which I know it's a huge amount, and even your website doesn't let in all of the bands you work with. I, I, like, not I, even close. I kind of have an aversion to being a name dropper. Like, well, that's fine. I, 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 I don't want you to drop over it. the years. You know, I, I used to give the studio tour and P, and the bands used to come in, you know, whenever you wanted to sell studio time, they'd be like, can we book a tour? Oh, yeah, you can book a tour. So you'd show everyone the, the, the studio and then they'd say, OK, so now we got to know where are the bands that you've recorded? You know, and then I'd be like, oh, geez, it comes down to this. And I, I would always hate to name the bands. And, and then sometimes they say, can you play the bands that you've recorded? And I but that's, that's not what I'm asking. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, no. I'm sorry, Glenn. No. What I'm asking is, what is, okay, you don't have to say it by, by name. Um, is there a band you've actually done a mastering for where you're like this is fucking heaven like this is a great fucking band um and if you want to name them go for it but I, you know I, I bump into that situation a lot i i hear a lot of and oftentimes it's a band that, that no one knows or no one, no well, one knows. that's even better <laughs> like yeah and then chances are I've already forgotten their name too. <laughs> hey, buddy, that that's fine too. That's fine I'm too. trying to give you something here. Um, let's see. Let's see if we make it. If we if we say recently, maybe that'll help. Uh, let's see. Fine. Uh, uh, last six months. Last six. Months. Anyone? Um, and of course, you realize they're like. 10,000 bands right I was like oh he didn't mention us <laughs> well um well in the last six months um 
you know, I, well, I haven't record, I haven't recorded anyone since that 2017 meetup with Math and Physics Club. That, that might have been my last recording job. You mastered a bunch. Yeah, I've been mastering a bunch. Um, geez. I almost have, All right. I have to open up my files and look in my. Can, can you hang on a sec? Well, hang, yeah, hang, of course. Hang on, hang on. Um, oh, okay. Hey, right. well, you, I found one or two. Okay, perfect. Um, so while you're doing that, let's talk about your uh, studio equipment. Oh, okay. And I love these studio equipment because one of them is human with two ears. Oh, right, right. I love that. Mm. Because that that's something that, that people don't really get, right? Somebody who can actually hear what they're doing and understand that. Well, yeah, right. None, none of the, you know, a tool is only as good as the person using it, right? Well, yeah, so of course. It's just, it's just a not so subtle reminder that, you know, <laughs> that there's a person that hopefully can do their job. Well, it's people sometimes just get caught up in the equipment list. You know, you know what people are. They're just very materialistic, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, like I remember, um, two or three years ago, whenever it was, when I kicked a master to you and, and you were like, oh, and I was worried. I was like, oh my God, it's going to cost like, you know, $5,000 or whatever. And you came back and you're like, oh, I'm not going to say how much. Yeah. Oh, it it's peanuts. Less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you're like, oh, it'll take 48 hours. I was like, okay, great. And got the music back and was like, oh my God, that sounds so much better. Right? And and I think we did like a, a CD and vinyl, like master. And it was so, so, so fucking good. But you charge so little for that. Well, my my hope is that I'll get more customers that way. And and, and, and I know I, I say it kind of in a funny way, but um, I have always done that, Glenn. I've always kind of eyed the idea that you can basically undercharge a little bit and, and over deliver a little bit and it will keep you supplied. In other words, you'll always have a steady stream and you'll always be building a bigger client base. Now what, what could hurt you if you build a very big client base that's loyal, right? Okay. Well, what can hurt you is that you're working for a little less money per hour, but you know, so what that I, I would rather have a guarantee on the supply than being able to kind of like get one over on you today, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of been my, my philosophy. Oh, part of the and I'm a democratic with, socialist. Well, that's fine. I mean, part of the problem with that is you were literally like 20% lower, if not more. Right? Mm -hmm. So you had a lot of uh, leverage to go way higher. With you, that. maybe maybe somebody else, not so much. Then I have to then I have to put up with the fact that I'm gonna lose a few, just a few, based on the fact that I'm not very affordable, right? So, yeah, I I know what you're saying. I I, I could probably 
hit a price point a little bit higher and not not damage myself too much but it is what it is uh, if, I, right, if i raise so my rate now they're gonna say what are you raising your rate now asshole after all these years you know i uh, can't do that all right chris i have one more question and that's it and then we can you know kill it, it it's been good talking to you glenn i have no no worries about the questions oh. Well, I'm fine. Like we're we're an hour and a half, and we're, we're at least half an hour further than what I normally go. Okay. Um, Snohomish. What made you move to Snohomish? Oh shoot! It was uh, it, well, we were in search in Seattle back in what two thousand late two thousand two, and that was before the uh, you know that bubble burst and the prices were really getting high, and we. I ne we needed a place to move our family because we were outgrowing mm -hmm. our house in uh, Crown Hill. Oh yeah. And I, I re wait, wait, I'm sorry. Where in Crown Hill? Uh, like at a hundred and third and ninth. Yeah. I was on, on uh, 85th and eighth. And prior to that, we were down at 90th and Dibble or 90th. And it, it, you know, oh, yeah. yeah, right by the Crown Hill cemetery. So oh, yeah. I was a Crown Hill resident for, Oh, better part of 20 years almost. Nice. So, yeah. yeah the Sundowner. So, yeah, yeah, the Sundowner. <laughs> I, I lived right I, around I the was corner. there when it was still when it was still Arts Grocery, you know. The, uh, oh, yeah. UFC was Arts. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Snohomish was attractive just because it was a small town and we could afford the house. It was a bigger house. And it's, it's a nice little dead-end road. It's real quiet. And at that time... Right. I kind of had felt like I was up to here with the city and, and to suddenly be on a dead end road with just a bunch of birds and squirrels. It was cool. Yeah. Peace of mind. That's great. So do you actually have clients in to your studio? Yeah. Or? Um, every now and then they show up here. Right. Why? Uh, as a matter of fact, last year, someone even rode their bicycle over here. They, really? They took the train to Everett and then they, they rode over. Yeah, I was that was so awesome. excited. But yeah, I used to have bands come in. They used to come in just they usually just fill up the room here. Everybody sits in a chair and I you know, and I'd sit in the middle with my back to them and feel really awkward and tell stupid jokes and everyone would just stare at the back of my head for four mm -hmm. hours and then when I'm done I'd hand them their album and go, Here's your album, call me tomorrow if you if I need <laughs> that, if I need to make revisions. <laughs> that actually sounds like yeah, early mid 80s yeah but that was that was actually more the o's, o's in the teens but in in the teens is when the the i think the technology finally sank sank in a little bit and people realized you know we really don't have to drive to snohomish we really can just send them the files uh right and i'll tell you this though i i kind of miss the interaction it occurred to me after a, after a few years of sitting here and not seeing anyone it was like this is kind of weird i'm just sitting here taking taking pot shot guesses at what I think pretty sure what they want, but there's something that happens when you hear people chitter chatter about what they like about their music. It tells mm -hmm. you a little something about what they're, what they're after. And it sometimes reveals a certain hint about what you need to do as a mastering engineer based on, on just the little things that are leaking out of uh, people's comments. Yeah. I mean, you know, listen, you're a master of what you do, you know, like I, I remember sending you an album in, you know, twenty five 
hours later, like, eh, there it goes, like, you know, for a tenth of the cost that I thought it would be, right? You're obviously a master at what you do. Well, well, thank you. Um, I, I'm human. I make mistakes, too. Um, try to keep them to a minimum. Well, of you course. Know. Eh. You know, hey, Chris, I'm going to call this good because we're like, eh, we're two hours in. Oh, okay. Even, okay. even, even after, gotta, even after the, the fucked up half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, we could probably talk for another two or three, but um, well, why don't I bring you back? Yeah, and we can talk we do a, do another fifty episodes, and then you come back to me, uh, find out how things are going. You you can check back with me after I finished off the uh, the rest of the Great Divide mountain bike route this year. Oh, that would be awesome! I got to get to Mexico. Yeah. Hey, Chris, you're a rock star. Oh, thank you, Glenn. No, literally, rock star. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, brother. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Glenn. Bye. Bye. Bye.